0: thanks for joining us the following is a presentation of ignite global ministries and features the teaching of pastor ben dixon pastor ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world he serves as lead pastor at northwest foursquare church in federal way washington if you have a bible go ahead and turn to acts chapter 1 We're not going to probably get much farther than 11 verses. We're going to go back to where I used to only share a few verses instead of try to do the whole book or the whole chapter of a book. And so we'll do the best that we can. But Acts chapter 1 today, go ahead and open your Bibles. And I will pray as you do that. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we approach your word with humility. We ask Holy Spirit that you would teach us and instruct us Help us to know you, help us to walk with you, help us to obey you with all of our heart. And we just simply pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We we just continue to look to you as our ultimate king, no matter what. And I just thank you for everybody tuning in. Bless them, strengthen them, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you today as we open your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Now, I told you to turn your Bibles... Acts chapter 1, so I'm hoping that you already did that. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then I'm going to walk through my comments and somewhat of an introduction to the book of Acts, because we're starting it, but it's going to take us quite a bit of time to get through it. So I want to make sure that we have some of the details that will help us understand the book better. And uh, here's how the book of Acts opens, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, "...the first account I composed, Theophilus," this is Luke speaking, of course, "...about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up into heaven after he, had been, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. To these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God." "'Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, "'but to wait for what the promise, or the Father had promised, which he said, "'You heard from me. For John baptized with water, "'but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now.' "'So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, "'Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel?' "'And he said to them, "'It is not for you to know the times or the epochs or the hour.' Which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after that, he after he said these things, he was lifted up, while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, be, behold, two men in white clothing <coughs> stood beside them. They also said. "'Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? "'This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven "'will come in just the same way "'as you have watched him go into heaven.' "'Then they returned to Jerusalem "'from the mount called Olivet, "'which near is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. "'When they had entered the city, "'they went to the upper room where they were staying, "'that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip "'and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew "'and James the son of Alphaeus "'and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James.' These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons were there together, and said, "'Brethren, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who would become a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in ministry.' Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. That's crazy to read about this, but this is about Judas, after he had betrayed Jesus. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language the field was called Hakeldama, I can't pronounce that, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Which one of these two have you chosen to occupy the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place? And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. And I'm sure you haven't heard a lot about Matthias, and so this is where they chose that twelfth apostle in place of Judas. Now, there's a lot of things to mention here in Acts chapter 1, but what we, of course, want to do is we want to talk really about the preparation For their mission. And we're going to read about that. We did actually right here, where uh, Luke is clearly talking to someone named Theophilus and he's saying, I wrote to you an earlier account of all that Jesus both began to do and teach. And this was obviously to furnish that and to share about the continued mission through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to talk about preparation for the mission that Jesus sent his disciples on, which now Jesus has committed us to, and all future disciples are to continue the mission and the ministry with the message of Jesus. The book of Acts, while it has been written, the Spirit of Acts, which is the Holy Spirit, is still in us as his church Motivating, motivating us, compelling us to move forward in the mission of Christ. Let me give you a little bit of context about the book of Acts today. We know that Luke is the writer in, the, in addition to the Gospel of Luke. This is sort of like the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the, the book of Luke is referred to a handful of times, and you can see that the connection is very clear. Luke was the only Gentile, non-Jewish person to write Scripture, which is very interesting. He was a doctor. We read about that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. He was also referenced as a historian, which means that his Greek language or his writing is going to be a little bit more precise. And that's important as we walk through the book of Acts. You're going to see that precision really mattered to him. He was a missionary traveling with the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to someone named Theophilus, Uh, which is also who he wrote his gospel account to as well. We don't know who Theophilus is, but he potentially is a government official because he uses the term most excellent Theophilus. It's sort of a title that could be used. Um, He could be a benefactor of Luke's missionary journeys, somebody that footed the bill, um, or just could be a collective people. Theophilus could be some group of people that he's writing to. That's a theory. I don't believe that. I think he's a person but we actually just don't know who he is. Now, the book of Acts is an account of the beginning of the church of Jesus through the eyewitnesses. This book covers about 30 years, from about 33 AD to 62 AD. The book starts with 11, and we see it ends chapter 1 with the 12th apostle uh, in substitution for Judas, but it, uh, it goes on to 120. And if my math is correct... We have about 100,000 people who believe in Jesus Christ at the end of this 30 years. The book tells the story of how the gospel message changed the world, and certainly we are saying, do it again, God. That's what we desire. That's what we want. We read this book um, not just as historians. We realize that there are all kind, there's all kinds of literature in the Bible. There's uh, narratives, there's apocalyptic literature, poetic, and so on. Um, So this is a narrative, and as such, we read it as a description of accounts that have transpired, but we also not only want to read it as descriptive, we want to read it as prescriptive, which means that we see it through the eyes of a missionary. We are missionaries. We don't read it as historians. We read it saying, God, do it again, even though it's describing events that have transpired and taken place. We, too, are still committed to the same ministry and, and mission of Jesus that they were. And so we're saying, God, do through us what we read about in here, in our day, of course. And so it's really important that we see it that way in our own preparation for mission. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus giving final instructions, or I'm saying preparations, so that the disciples could continue what he began. And I believe that those preparations are still relevant. And I just want to make some points as we walk through the text rather than just talk about various aspects of the text. I'm just going to make some points through this text, which helps us, we could see help them prepare for the mission that Jesus has committed us to. Listen, if you're a Christian, you are committed to continue the ministry and the mission of Jesus. That is why we call ourselves missionaries. Missionaries are not people that just move from one country to another because God's put it on their heart to reach that country. Missionaries are all Christians who wake up in the morning understanding that they've been committed to the mission of Christ, which is to reach all people in His name with His gospel. And so that's really what we want to understand today is that the book of Acts shows us how we need to go about our life as missionaries. The disciples, There weren't some disciples that were going to be used by God and then others that weren't. We see that it goes from 11 to 12 to 120 all the way to 100,000. All of them in whatever way they could, were to share the gospel. All of them were to be people that were praying, His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of them. And so we want to read it in the same way. So how do we prepare to continue the mission and the ministry of Jesus? Number one, Jesus presented Himself alive to them. Now, this is significant because He's preparing them. In verse 3, it says, Jesus presented Himself alive after His resurrection He did this through many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days. What proofs were those? Well, he spent time with them, he ate with them, he talked with them, he reassured them multiple times. Reading the last chapter of Luke and also the other gospel accounts, Jesus presented himself to his disciples to give them the confidence that they would need to boldly proclaim the gospel. They were going to give their lives. In fact, all of them really did give their lives. We know that John was the only one that wasn't martyred eventually, but they tried to martyr him, didn't they? All of them were going to give their lives for the gospel of Jesus, so Jesus came to them, giving them convincing proofs, many of them, so that they could have the confidence to stand. One reason that Jesus did this and giving them proofs was to absolve their doubts, and did you know that they doubted? We read about Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 17. It says, some doubted even when they saw him. Jesus was going to deal with their doubts. He was going to absolve them of their doubts. He is a gracious and loving God, loving Savior, knows our what we struggle with, understands where we're at, knows what we need, comes to us to absolve our doubts. That's what he did for them. We see that they had doubts. So uh, for some reason, we think the apostles didn't. We think that the direct disciples of Jesus didn't. It's not true. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14, it says, Jesus confronted their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Now you can read that Jesus confronted. Yes, he did confront, but in his love, he helped them to have confidence. He spoke to it, knew about it, but he wanted to change them so that they could just continue what Jesus told them to do. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 through 43, he confronted their doubt and let them see his hands and his feet. Now, why would he do something like that? He didn't just in some angry way say, you should never think, feel this at all. He actually let them see his hands and his feet. And The Bible says that he had scars. He let them see the scars so that they would be convinced. That's what Acts is saying here. With many convincing proofs, Jesus revealed himself to give them confidence, absolve them of their doubts. He ate with them. He talked with them. He absolved their doubts. For them to be his missionaries, they needed to have a resolution about the resurrection. And for us to be prepared as missionaries, we need Jesus to be alive to us, and alive in us, and he is committed to helping us become all of that and at all times. Those who carry the message and the ministry of Jesus cannot live in their doubt. Let Jesus have it. Let me tell you this doubts, those are an experience that all of us will have, but unbelief is a practice. Doubts will lead us to unbelief, but unbelief will take us out of the game entirely. Doubts are normal. Doubts are an experience. Everyone has them, but we've got to give them to Jesus. We've got to ask him to replace them with confidence, and he will do that. Nobody ever has to feel guilty for having doubts, but when we start moving down the road of unbelief, where we are against the truth of Jesus, where we are literally living, anti, against, our mindset has shifted. We've got to give that give our doubts over to Jesus before our heart becomes Hard. The second thing we see here is Jesus reminded them of what he said. In verse 4 to 5, Jesus gathered them, and it says that he reminded them of what he had promised, which was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says to them, "'You heard from me, and not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit.'" In the midst of all that had happened, Jesus dying, rising again, their disappointment, they lost sight of what he had been telling them, which was vital for the moment that they were in. Did you hear that? Jesus had been telling them things all the way through the ministry and the mission and the years that they were together. And because of those la- that last month and those last weeks, that had pretty much knocked them off of their rocker and caused them to be disillusioned, disappointed, discouraged, and they had forgotten the things that Jesus had told them. And let me just tell you, what that shows us is that a week, a month, or a year can actually discourage us, disappoint us, and distract us enough to forget what Jesus has said, which prepared us for the moment that we're in. Disciple of Jesus, listen to me. Today, you need to remember what Jesus has taught you, what Jesus has brought you through, what Jesus has done in you and for you because it was preparing you for the moment that you were in. 2020, for example, came and we got disillusioned, discouraged, and distracted. But Jesus has been moving in us. Jesus has been speaking to us. His word has been richly developed and deposited in our lives for this moment. And we've got to look back and remember that he has been preparing us so that we could stand confidently in him in moments like this. That's what Jesus was reminding them of. Hey, I taught you all of this stuff, told you about all of these things in advance so that you would be prepared. But in his grace and in his love, he comes to his disciples after his resurrection. He gathers them together and reminds them of the things that he had taught. Jesus wants to remind us of what he told us. Jesus wants to remind us of what his word says, of what we've studied, of what we've experienced, of what we know is true, and the same shall be for us. He reminds them of the vital sayings, teachings, which to us are passages that they are well-equipped to continue his mission. The words of Jesus prepare us to live out the mission of Jesus. We're not reading the Bible to be smart people. We're not reading the Bible to know more than other Christians. We're not reading the Bible to prove that we love the book. We're reading the Bible because we have been committed to a mission and ministry that is going to require all of our life. And if that is the case, then we've got to know what it says, not just so that we can repeat it and sound smart, but so that we can live it and actually accomplish what Jesus has committed us to in following Him, The book is for us to follow. It's not just for us to have knowledge. The knowledge has to move into our life, and Jesus gave it to us for a reason. He wants to remind us of what he said. He wants us to be in the Bible so that we are certain of what our life is to be about. That's why when the winds and the waves come, life comes and goes, ups and downs, left and and right. We're in an election cycle right now. People are waiting on pins and needles to see who the president is. I understand that. But at the same time, we know who we are. We know what we're to do. We know what we're supposed to be about, what we're committed to. The book tells us. And so we can't get knocked off our balance And knowing what Jesus has called us to Our disappointment can often have a louder voice than the word of God, but it's in the word that we receive the instructions for the mission that we are called to. Jesus reminded them of what he said to prepare them, and Jesus wants to continually help us focus on what he has said so that it will inform what we do. Number three, Jesus redirected their focus. In verse six, seven, the disciples are still asking Jesus, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was their messianic theology. They still weren't shaken of that. They still thought that Jesus was going to reveal himself as the the Messiah of glory that he is, but their understanding of the messianic kingdom was that he was going to rise up in governmental and military power and Israel was going to rule and reign along his side. They did not understand the first and the second coming, So this idea of Jesus ascending to be with the Father and then returning thousands of years later, this was not a concept that they knew, had heard, nor still uh, understood because of what Jesus had taught them at this point. It was not clear to them. So they're asking the question based on their understanding. Is it this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their past theology is still causing them to hope for something other than what Jesus had told them. That can happen that can happen. Jesus redirects them. He said, that is not for you to know. What an amazing comment. That, your question, is not for you to know. But what you do need to know and what you must focus on is that not many days from now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You can't know that, but you must know this. Come on, sometimes we are asking the wrong question at the wrong time. Jesus wants to redirect our focus so that we are asking the right questions, receiving the right instruction at the right time to do the right thing. Jesus knows exactly what we're supposed to be doing even when we forget, and he is faithful to remind us, to instruct us, and to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, that's not something you need to know. That's not something you won't know. It's not something you need to focus on. Come on, guys. It's time to get focused on the right thing, which is the mission at hand to reach people, to preach the gospel. So many get focused on theology instead of practicing Christianity. Listen to me. So many Christians are focused on aspects of theology, and their life and their heart and their way is not committed to the mission of Christ. I don't care how old you are, what your gifts are, what your skills are, whether you're introverted or extroverted, you and I are all supposed to be a part of the mission of Jesus. That is Christianity. Christianity is not about obscure Greek and Hebrew words, although we want to know the Bible. And I understand that some of us have a focus on that. Some of us have knowledge and understanding into that. I don't want to put that down Learning is important, but listen, learning must lead us to living. If learning doesn't lead us to living, something is dramatically wrong with the way that we see Jesus, with the way that we see the Bible, with the reason that the Bible has been given to us. We are not historians, we are missionaries. This is not, uh, the Christianity is not some museum that we're supposed to visit once in a while and look at all the artifacts. Christianity is a power plant of God's presence that is producing something that changes and transforms the lives of people in this world. And we're a part of the power plant of God's presence. We are not a part of the museum. Hey, let's go visit Christianity. Wasn't that nice? Wasn't that great? Isn't that cool looking? That is not Christianity. Christianity is a group of missionaries that have made a decision that they will give their lives sacrificially to see other people come to Christ. The law saved and disciples made, amen, in the name of Jesus. I'm preaching now, this is the daily word. I'm supposed to be talking to you just real low, but I can't help it. I can't help it. Let me just say this and then we'll move on to my fourth point, because I got five today. It's vital that we get back in the game. It is vital that we get back in the game. And am I telling you that you need to be a Billy Graham evangelist? No, I am saying we all play a part. We must be praying. We must be sowing into the soil of the earth with God's gospel, his mission, his ministry. We must be all together as the church of Jesus Christ sowing into this world so that people can know him, so that people can be with him. We cannot just hole up and study the Bible unto ourselves. We've got to be people that are studying to show ourselves approved, to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can absolutely live it out effectively, passionately, and powerfully. Amen and amen. Jesus redirected their focus. Don't focus on this right now. It is time for you to go after what I've been telling you this whole time. What you've been a recipient of, now you are a distributor. And number four, Jesus released his vision for the mission. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even Federal Way, the remotest parts of the earth. He tells them that they're about to receive power. That word for power is the Greek word dunamis, which means power to do the miraculous. That's what it means. It does not mean... Sometimes people will say dunamis is where we get our word dynamite, and they have this idea that like we're supposed to have some explosive dynamite. No, Jesus isn't trying to blow people up, okay? Dunamis just means power to do the miraculous, what we see in the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit the purpose of the power is to be a witness martyrion this greek word that means it really is the root word of, or it is where we get the the word martyr the root word of this word is martyr this this is about us giving our lives for the gospel we are witnesses of jesus it's not something we do it's something we are sometimes people will say hey let's go witness let's go witness for jesus let's Let's be a witness. You literally are a witness. It's not something that we go to do. It's something that we are. And Jesus was telling them that you need to start in Jerusalem. That's where they were. You go out to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. In other words, I want this thing to spread. You guys are the beginning. You're the seed that's going to be going into the ground, that's going to be sown and watered. And I want this thing to grow into an orchard. I want the gospel to go all over the earth. The first eight chapters of the book of Acts is devoted to them taking the gospel to Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 12 show how the gospel was taken to Judea and Samaria. And chapter 13 begins the missionary journey of Paul where the gospel goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, Acts actually chronicles how the gospel did what Jesus actually told them to do in verse 8, chapter 1. Very important for us to realize that. 30 years of the church's history. And not even in 30 years. I mean, it just didn't even take 30 years for it to start to get out to the Roman Empire. And so here we have it circling the Jewish and the Gentile world already before the close of the book of Acts. It's fantastic. It's amazing that we have this. The vision is the table of contents of Acts and the blueprint for us to follow as followers of Jesus. We're missionaries that are called to take the gospel to all people in every nation, and it starts with us being empowered. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, for us to be missionaries, we need power. We will not be able to do it because we're smart, because we're eloquent, because we we are all gifted to teach. It's going to require all of us, and it's going to require all of His power in order for us to effectively get the gospel across the earth. And now we are sending the gospel across the world from wherever we are. If you're watching me from the United States of America, which almost the majority of us are, we know that it's now going around the world from where we are. We have a privileged position to send the gospel across the world, and we want to be involved in that, whether it's giving, whether it's praying, whether it's going. That's what it's about. This is the missiology Uh, where we go from a monocultural to a multicultural focus. This is our call as a church. We are witnesses of the power of his resurrection, and he is preparing us just like he was preparing them. Do you have power in your life? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you used to be a witness of Jesus, and now your witness has grown dim? Listen, right now where you are, ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, come upon me in power. You used to use me in more effective ways, but now it's not been that at all. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you were at yesterday. What matters is what you're willing to pray today. And if you're willing to pray a dangerous prayer, God will do an incredible thing. If you're willing to pray a dangerous prayer, God will do an incredible thing. He wants to use us. These were common folks, and he wants to use us. What's the last point? Point number five, and finally, Jesus promised them that he would come back again, didn't he? Verse nine through 11, the angel of the Lord tells the disciples that are watching Jesus ascend into heaven, he says he will return the same way that he left. He is going to come in such a way where every eye will see and every ear will hear. It's the hope of his return, which keeps us on mission until he returns. This is what he did. This is what we must do. Or this is what they did until he returns. we need to be on mission with Jesus. This is what is required of us in these days now, listen, in all that we have experienced this year, all that we have gone through to just knock us off this focus that we 've had, especially as a church if you 're from Northwest Church, you know we 've been about missionary work we've been about we've been in the nations we've been in the neighborhood we 've been doing things that God has called us to do, from Royal Family Kids Camp to track, uh, to ministering to our children and our youth and our young adults. And we've had people come in from the community. We've moved out into the community. God's focusing us to do that again and again, and we're going to go after it. But 2020 did knock us off our focus. We were laser focused. We were moving forward. God was giving us more vision, and 2020 knocked us off our focus and then things start to focus on other things. And those become the most, most important things. The most, the most important thing for us as followers of Jesus is to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And loving our neighbor as ourself means that we must be focused on giving the gospel of Jesus to as many people as we possibly can. I know that that has not become the popular way today. It seems to me like um, loving our neighbor has become being nice, being kind, um, uh, voting in the proper way so that people in the natural and in our day and in our age get whatever it is that we think they need, which by the way means we put our hope in the government to do that. I'm not suggesting government doesn't matter. You know, I've talked to you about this last week. I'm not saying voting doesn't matter. I'm not saying people in high up places don't matter. What I am saying is that, you can give people water you can give people food you can give people a, self, self, a sense of dignity you can seek to you know silence uh, the voices that come against whoever and making people feel like they're less than you can try to eradicate poverty you can do all of those things but people are still going to go to hell okay so at the end of the day we want to seek a flourishment that would happen for all people in society, absolutely. We wanna make sure that we're generous. We wanna make sure that we're kind, we're loving. We don't love our neighbor in practical ways, but ultimately, if we're not going to love our neighbor by bringing the gospel of Jesus into their life, what ultimately does that mean? That means that people are still going to be going into an eternity, an existence, for, the, for an, et- an eternal existence without knowing and walking with God, and if you're okay with that, You need to be unsettled. Listen, let me encourage you. It is time for us as the church to be unsettled. It should not be okay that people enter into an eternal existence, passing the threshold of this life into eternity, not knowing Jesus, not being with him forever. It should unsettle us. It should break our hearts. It should cause us to be motivated in prayer, to be crying out to God and not judging people. Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world, but he came so that he might save them. We are not here to judge the world. The world is what we once were. The the world is gonna act like the world, but we are here to call people out of the world and into the kingdom of God. This is our purpose. This is our mission. Should you choose to accept it? But Christianity cannot change and become just this moral club of elite people that somehow made better choices than others. It is not about having a privileged position. It is about knowing God, having our eyes and our hearts open and now going out and reaching the world in his name with his power. And so listen, I just want to passionately <laughs> convey this as I po- as much as I possibly can to tell you to remind me that we've got to be about his kingdom business. Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended about the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of King Jesus who is coming back by the way, and he's calling us to be focused on him. This portrayal of the person that follows Jesus in the gospels and throughout the Bible is a person that is waiting, a person that is expecting, a person that is hoping, praying, knowing that his return is imminent, coming. If it's not tomorrow, if it's not next month, we live life in such a way where it could be. We actually treat our life like it could be because it might be, and that's what we know. We know that Jesus is returning. We are passionate about Jesus. We are following him. We are focused on him. We are focused on what he said. Listen, his campaign promises are going to be fulfilled, okay? Yes, I am bringing in every pun I possibly can from the election because I know that if you're like me, you've been watching this thing all night. But his campaign promises are absolutely going to be fulfilled. Every single one of them, just as he said it. Jesus said what he was going to do. He has been fulfilling that ever since he said it. We are going to see him return. This is going to happen. We've got to put all of our hope in him, all of our trust in him. But can I encourage you today, as I close, to focus on Jesus. That word focus is is what I mean to say. Focus, like binoculars, you focus them in. Something's blurry. The world obscures what we're supposed to be looking at and what we're supposed to be focused on. Our life, tragedies, difficulties, trials, distractions, worldly things, they blur, they bring us out of focus on who and what we are supposed to be giving our attention to. And I want to encourage you today, focus in, dial in on Jesus. And as you do that, you're going to be reminded of what he said. It's going to encourage your hearts. It's going to lift you. It's going to lift me. It's going to give us hope. It's going to impart vision. And then we're going to be about his business. And nothing is going to get us off of that focus. Nothing is going to distract us and dissuade us from where we need to be. And this is not me giving a pep talk or, you know, we hope things get better. This is the hope. This is the truth. This is what Christians are to be about, and this is what we're committed to. As we pray today, I'm going to pray that the Lord will give us His focus on the mission and the ministry of Jesus. When we're focused on His mission and His ministry, what we know is we really need power, right? We really need power. You, you and I cannot accomplish what He's committed to us without power, but we're not going to depend on, we're not going to be desperate for, we're not going to cry out for power unless we are focused and committed to the mission because it isn't ever before us. And so in that sense of helplessness that comes when we're engaged in something that is utterly impossible without him giving us what we need to accomplish it. So let's ask right now together to have that razor sharp focus on the person and the purposes of Jesus. And as we ask for that, let's also ask for the power that is required that is necessary for us to accomplish what he tells us to do in our world and in this day. Amen? So on November 4th, right here and right now, would you just bow your hearts, bow your heads, and pray with me that we would focus in on the mission of Jesus together. Let's do that. Father, we thank you today that we know you, that our eyes are open, that our heart is open, that we've already named you as Lord and Savior in our lives. But we recognize that we are to be focused on your mission. You've committed to our hands to our heart and to our life, the ministry that your son carried out on the earth, the message of the gospel. And so I pray that we would be razor focused. We would be so dialed in. Give us your focus, Lord, that we, we've we got to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so now, Lord, I pray for every person watching and listening and myself, I ask for that focus to be imparted today. And with it, Lord, would you fill us, baptize us with the Holy Spirit. For anybody that's watching today that has not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, I pray right now that wherever they are, wherever they're listening or watching, would you baptize us with the power of the Spirit? Would you give us the ability to speak with new tongues and to exercise that gift of spiritual language and just to release it For those that are frustrated that have never received a spiritual language, I pray right now, Lord, that they would be able to release a spiritual language. You would enable them right where they are to just release it. We ask for the baptism of power. We pray that we would be focused on your mission, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a church, Lord, would you give us that increased focus. And I pray that even as we gather together this evening, that we would sense your presence in such a powerful way. As you're dialing us in, I thank you for everybody that's tuning in right now. Lord, we're grateful for your presence in our lives. We're grateful for your word reminding us of who we are, who you are, what we're to be doing. And so we lay hold of it together as a church family and everybody joining in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening.